1: R Wood zero zero two at gmail dot com. Prayer requests can be sent directly to HBC Prayer twenty twenty at gmail dot com. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us tonight on our Wednesday evening podcast. We're glad that you're here, and uh, we're hope we're able to send out our podcast tonight. We weren't able to send out the one from last Sunday, but we think that we are going to be able to send this one out. So thank you for joining with us and. And uh, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 26 through 40. And being a biblical church is our theme for tonight. So what makes a church biblical or unbiblical? The first need is for the church to be made up of truly converted individuals. Individuals that know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. If you've got a church that's made up of individuals who are lost, certainly that's not going to be a biblical church, is it? And then, biblical Christians. It has to be a church that individuals are learning the Scriptures and sharing that Word of God with other individuals. And if you've been with us since we started this series, and it hasn't all clicked yet, I'm hoping that today, or tonight, is going to be the time when you see how it all fits together as a completed picture. Because today, we're talking about biblical worship. Remember, it all fits together under love. We've talked about love for several weeks now, and you're going to see that in tonight's message as well. Now, the truth is, that is, as Baptists, A lot of times we do things without having any real knowledge or sense of understanding of where those things come from. I know that was the way I was when I was growing up. How do those things that we do originate? Where do they come from? Or even why do we do things the way we do them? Have you ever wondered why we have our order of services in our church, the way that we have Bible study like we do? Why do we sing the songs that we sing? Why do we not baptize infants? Why do we do things the way we do? That's what I'm talking about. Chances are there are some who probably haven't ever wondered about those things. You've just accepted them. These are things that we've always done and in and, and churches where you've been, that's the way they've always done them. But what would we do if we found out there was no precedent for some of the things that we do? These things in the scriptures, do they follow the way the scriptures lay out these things to be done. You see, some of tonight's reading is going to be talking about that. Or what if we learn there were other things that we're not doing that we we ought to be doing? Well, as we think about biblical worship, as we think about a scriptural church, the Bible is where we go for the answers. And as we look at the Scriptures, as we look at God's Word, think about how these things fit together, how that these things are part of what is needed. As we uh, look at these things today, I want you to be thinking about how these things apply to your life, how they apply to our church how that these things are things that um, are done in our day and time and and whether or not you feel like these things are things that ought to be done in our church. Again, we're going to be looking at these things tonight and uh, I want you to be aware of some of these things that it talks about. Each and every one of us knows, at least I hope we do, that God created the world and everything in it for his glory. And we know that man fell into sin, and with sin came corruption. And it corrupted God's perfect creation. So instead of being without sin, mankind is now corrupted by it. We're born into sin. Born spiritually dead, born super uh, separated from God spiritually, and every part of our being is corrupted by sin, and affected by sin. Our minds, our wills, our emotions, our desires, our bodies, the world around us. Things break, things wear out, things go wrong, things suffer, individuals suffer. There are problems between husbands and wives. We argue. We disagree. We want different things. things. We struggle to find commonality. Looking at priorities, our goals, our desires. Many times they're different, aren't they? And groups and nations and governments all have problems getting along. And instead of mankind working together, unified in truth and love for the purpose of bringing glory to God, these things are not happening, are they? Now, we want what we want when we want it. You've heard that. We want to glorify ourselves. We want ourselves to be satisfied. And that's especially the state of all mankind outside of Christ. And that's a problem. It's a problem... Because the Bible tells us that mankind outside of Christ is incapable of doing anything good. He is incapable of being in God's uh, will, incapable of worshiping God in his own efforts. Even when he thinks he is worshiping, without Christ, he's not. If they are not born again, if they're not truly converted. They may think that what they're doing is worship. If you were to go to one of those prosperity teacher churches, you'd find a whole lot of folks who think they're worshiping God. But that's not what is being taught in that church, is it? That's not what is going on. They would think they have actually there to listen to God's word to be preached to. But they don't know because they're spiritually dead, many of them. They're unable to see, they're unable to recognize, unable to understand the truths of God's Word. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit, So what sinful man does now is exchange the glory of God for a lie. And he will worship the creation rather than the creator. Romans 1.25 tells us that. But when we are saved by the grace of God, when we are born again by the incorruptible seed of God, we are brought to spiritual life out of death and regenerated by the Holy Spirit. God begins the process of making us a new creation in Christ. And our hearts and minds turn back to the truths of God. We find in ourselves a desire to worship the triune God of the Bible, who's the maker, the creator, the sustainer, the redeemer, the savior, the justifier, the sanctifier. We could go on and on, couldn't we? In other words, we have this desire this compulsion or need if you will to worship God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit now where we run into problems is when that person we were before being rescued by Christ begins to influence our way of thinking and our way of life I'm talking about our old sin nature you see even though we're born again We're not a new creation in Christ Jesus completely. Our old nature is still there. It still hangs on. It dies hard. And we're told to put to death every day to crucify the flesh that our sin nature might be put out of the way, that we might be able to serve God acceptably, that we might be the children of God in reality. And the old pattern of life the old thinking is put away and we'll find that we're still trying to glorify ourselves sometimes and satisfy ourselves instead of God and this is where knowing the Bible and learning the truths of the scriptures studying the scriptures helps us that's why we need to be in church that's why we need to be with other believers that's why we need to learn God's word because as we do that We won't be conforming to the world, but we'll be transformed as we're renewed in our minds. So we've got to be not only born again, but we've got to be learning and studying the Bible, the Word of God. As we do that, what we'll find is that God has actually given us some guidelines to go by when it comes to biblical worship, how we do things, why we do things, The first thing is that God is worthy of worship. Get that settled in your mind. God is supremely worthy of our worship, our praise, our adoration, our reverence, our love. I mentioned a moment ago about singing hymns. That's why we do that. That's why we sing songs. We praise our Savior. We praise our God. And as you look at all of these different hymns that we use and spiritual songs that we use, they're glorifying God in one way or another. Even though it may talk about our salvation, even though it may talk about how we would have uh, been redeemed from our old way of life, it's talking about God and giving Him glory for doing that work in our lives. The Bible tells us in Matthew ten thirty-seven: whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. When we love something more than we love God, it shows that we lack understanding of God's worth. So God is supremely worthy of our worship. That is the first thing. The second is that God alone determines how we should worship Him. Stay with me here. Let's think about this. Have you ever been in a situation where someone, maybe it's your spouse or your good friend, comes up to you and asks, what do you want for Christmas? And you told them very specifically. And I mean to the very least least detail, you're expressing to them exactly what you wanted. And then they went out and bought you something you, well, that was totally different than what you asked for. Or he sticks a seven sixteenth inch bolt in something you're trying to fix that demands a half inch bolt instead. Now, bear with me now. Think about what we're talking about. You didn't get the Christmas present that you wanted. You got something else. And when you're trying to fix something, the individual is trying to fix it with something that doesn't fit, something that doesn't work. Now, why would anyone do that? Maybe it's they don't care, or maybe they don't pay attention, or maybe they just don't understand. They just want to do the job and and get it over quickly, you see, and they think anything will work. Let me give you one more example. Let's say that a guy has a heart attack and he goes to get a stent. And the doctor says, oh, I'm supposed to use a particular stent in this particular place, but I like putting in this other stent. (laughs) I like the way it it feels. I like the way it looks. I like the way I can uh, maneuver it. And so he wants to use something different than what's called for. Now, a doctor really wouldn't do that, would they? But now think about this. The God who created all things and holds all things together, the God who is almighty and all-powerful, the God who has saved you from eternal wrath, says to you and says to me, In His Word, this is the power of God and the proper way that you're to worship me. Are we really going to just not listen? Shrug our shoulders and say, that doesn't impress me much. I don't like that. I don't like the way God is telling me I need to do things. I'm going to do it my way. So number one, God is worthy of our worship, and number two, God tells us what proper worship is. In our text in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul tells the Corinthian believers that there is a right way and a wrong way to worship Him. God is not the author of confusion. All things should be done decently and in order. Is it really that big of a deal? Yes, it is. Turn with me to Levit- Leviticus 14, verses 1 through 3. Let us notice some worship that wasn't acceptable, and it might seem to you that it was such a little thing. Read with me, if you would. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1. Aaron, son of Nabad, Dab, and Abihu took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense and they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to His command. So the fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses then said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke of when He said, Among those who approach me, I will be proved holy in the sight of all the people. I will be honored. Aaron remained silent. And then, notice in Mark chapter 7, verses 6 and 7, Jesus said this, The people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. In other words, they were taking these men-centered worldly ideas and implementing them into church services, and calling it worship. But remember, Jesus says in John 4, 24, that we are to worship in spirit and in truth. That's worship that is driven and empowered by the Holy Spirit. True worship, real worship, worship from the heart. But it's also focused on truth. In other words, true spirit-filled worship is worship that is focused on and directed by, guided by, the Word of God. Not that you want, not what you want, but what I want, God says. God is warning that to the individual. What God says we ought to do. If we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, And look at verse 33. We see that this is the pattern for all the churches of the saints. It's not critical. It's a regulative principle given in God's Word. So let me just throw the biblical principle out there for a real quick look. And we'll see what this means to us. Biblical worship is focused on God. It is directed toward God. It is directed by God's Word. And it brings glory to God. It's being done in a way that doesn't promote or cause confusion or chaos. But it's orderly. Because God is not the author of confusion. So, as we think about worship, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40 in the King James Version says it's to be done decently and in order. We can engage our minds because we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, not just check into an emotional state as we come into God's house. It's to be done according to the Word of God, focused on the Word of God, not man's philosophies, not man-centered. That means the songs that we sing in a church should be scripturally focused, focused on God and on Christ. We're to sing about who God is, how God is, what He has done, how He works in the world. The style of music isn't as important as the content of that song. As long as we're engaged in the worship of God, singing His songs, singing things that honor Him, our desires, our minds are engaged in reaching those that are lost, thinking about how we have been saved, thinking about what God has done in every aspect of, of uh, the Scriptures, we understand this. And our corporate worship is never going to be designed or done in a way to appeal to unbelievers. Because if it is, then you're no longer worshiping God. You're no longer focusing on the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit We're focusing on appeasing the world. That's not what we're to do in church and our worship, is it? That's not biblical worship. Worship and evangelism are not the same thing, are they? Worship is when the church gathers to praise and honor and glorify and exalt a holy, good, and just God who's perfect in all of His ways. So worship is not something done for an audience is something done for God who is perfect in all of His ways. And it's not something that's done by a congregation. It's directed to an almighty God who accepts our worship. In fact, as we worship Him, It brings glory to Him. That doesn't mean that worship is dull or boring, but only saved people can worship the Savior. Now, does that mean that they can't understand, uh, lost people can't understand things that will bring them to God in our worship? I hope with all of my heart that what we say and what we do as we focus on God and as we worship Him is going to bring conviction on the individual that comes that's not saved, and they'll understand their need of a Savior. But worship starts with people who have been truly saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ. It's done by people who are learning the Scriptures, and it's directed by the Scriptures themselves, by the Bible. And as we bring glory to God in our worship, and again, I pray that we always do, then that can be an outreach to individuals that don't know Him. But the worship is by individuals that know Him and to a God that's holy. Let us think about those things as we end this service today. Father, we thank you that we've had the privilege of opening your word tonight, understanding things that are helpful and beneficial. And I pray that your blessings would be upon each one that's under the sound of my voice tonight. And I pray that we would see individuals respond to this message. And we would always, whether we're doing it with a podcast or whether we're doing it in our church building at hillside bring glory and honor to you our lord and our savior for we pray it in jesus christ's name amen
0: please stay tuned for a short weekly editorial with face to face with dr fred good evening my wife Marlene, on august 22nd 1971 heard this quoted by her pastor at the First Methodist Church in Houston, Texas. It's quoted by Charles L. Allen, the pastor. Somewhat of a poem. Today upon a bus I saw a lovely girl with golden hair. Envied her. She seemed so gay and wished I were so fair. When suddenly she rose to leave I saw her hobble down the aisle. She had one leg and wore a crutch as she passed a smile. Oh, God, forgive me when I whine. I have two legs. The world is mine. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And then I stopped to buy some sweets. The lad who sold them had such charm. I talked with him. He seemed so glad. If I were late, I would do no harm. And as I left, he said to me, I thank you. You have been so kind. It's nice to talk with folks like you. You see, he said, I'm blind. Oh, God, forgive me. When I whine, I have two eyes. The world is mine. Please forgive me forgive me. Later, walking down the street, I saw a child with eyes of blue. He stood and watched the others play. It seemed he knew not what to do. I stopped a moment, then I said, why don't you join the others, dear? He looked ahead without a word, and then I knew. He could not hear. Oh, God, forgive me when I whine. I have to Two ears. The world is mine. Please forgive me. Forgive me. With legs to take me where I'd go. With eyes to see the sunsets glow. With ears to hear what I would know. Oh God, forgive me when I whine. I'm blessed indeed. The world is mine. Please forgive me please forgive me.
2: As was given to you in your need Love as the Master loved you
0: God bless.